0: Calling all AEC professionals. Get ready for unparalleled professional insights with Detailed, and original podcasts by Arcad. This is the podcast that brings you the untold stories and lessons learned behind the design and delivery of a building project. Hey, it's Charisse Lakeside, a.k.a. the CSI Kraken, and your host. Join me as we dive deep into the tales of conflict, triumph, and sheer ingenuity.
1: Yes, yeah, so when Serena was named for the it was going to be named for the building, you know, we really were able to work with teams at Nike branding and how to really infuse her influence and identity in the very public spaces.
0: Detailed features architects, engineers, builders, and manufacturers who spill the beans on the most complex, interesting, and downright odd building conditions they've encountered.
1: Another challenge of the of the shuttle is actually putting it in launch position is how you brace that seismically. It's really supported by only two pins at the base of the booster rockets and there's a large base isolator that's underneath the shuttle that kind of prevents it from moving too
0: much in an earthquake. You know when you have 600 people or 300 people in a room, acoustically you really need a high floor-to-floor so that you can Have the right acoustic environment for people to be able to talk and that that speech intelligibility is really good. Every episode unveils lessons learned and connects you to the products you need to navigate similar challenges. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Detailed today and be prepared for the unexpected on your next project. Every building has a story and we are here to tell it.
2: you know i'm i'm rereading the book you know to prep for this and uh yeah. i just i i don't know how you made it through that that
3: just that day it was a that was a terrible day <laughs> yeah just, um i w- it was a terrible day um and valentine i think for the very first time valentine thought oh we could lose this firm We could go under.
2: It's very real.
3: Very real. 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 Real.
2: My name is Mark Arlapage, and I'm joined by Patrick McLaney, FAIA, and former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. This is Build Smart. Patrick shares stories from his remarkable 50-year career at HOK, rising from junior designer to CEO of the company. With themes of leadership, finance, people, culture, and so much more, you'll find that there's a lesson in every episode. Welcome back to Build Smart. In our last episode, we reached the point in Patrick's story where he was promoted to a firm-wide role at HOK. He discussed his efforts in getting the firm to adopt new technologies and shared his simple financial metrics, to improve firm profitability. If you haven't listened to that episode, I encourage you to go back and listen to all the episodes in order to hear Patrick's full story and insights into how to design a world-class architecture firm. In today's episode, seeds of trouble have blossomed into full crisis. In fact, triple crises for HOK. Right, Patrick, Patrick, this, this is an important episode HOK faced three drastic crises in the same year. In fact, two of them surfaced the same day. I, I, you know, having read the book, I don't know how you made it through that day. Tell us about that day.
3: Uh, you're right. It was a, probably the most terrible day of my career at HOK in all the 50 years uh, because it literally could have put us under. You'll recall that we had an investor. Kojima Corporation, that had invested in us to allow us to grow and to buy out Gio Obata's stock. And uh, we also had a bank where we were borrowing money, lines of credit, all the rest of it. And it was with Kojima and the bank that the same thing happened. Kojima, who were always uh, good partners to us, always said, we don't want to get into your business. We're not architects. We're contractors. They were still looking for a way for their investment in HOK to be more than static. And our stock had not been growing in recent years because we hadn't made any profits. and Our stock growth was based on profitability, retained profits, it's called. So Kojima asked us to meet with them in their New York City offices. So Bill Valentine, our president, and I, as the COO, And Bob Pratzel, the CFO, went to Manhattan, went to New York City to their office building. It was somewhere in Midtown, went up to their offices and met with two of them. And it was a very formal meeting. The Japanese tend to be formal type people anyway, but this was very formal. And we were soon to find out why. And the representative from Kojima basically gave us a little lecture. And he said, you know, we've been very patient with you and you have uh, not rewarded our patience with any growth. Uh, We've watched you operate your business without trying to tell you how to run your business. And we've seen years of meager profits. And even when you make a profit, you bonus it all out to your, your employees and so on. That means that as an investor, we get nothing and that's just not right. So, We want to propose to you that you consider giving us a dividend, making us a preferred shareholder, basically, giving us an annual dividend because we don't see any way for us to to benefit from stock growth because you're not growing. A dividend is a
2: sum of money paid regularly, typically quarterly by a company to its shareholders
3: out of its profits or reserves. And we all looked at each other. And finally I said, well, we need to have some time to think this out, but we thank you for the suggestion. And I knew in that room, it was not a suggestion. Japanese were being very polite. They were basically saying, if you don't give us a dividend for the stock, as we have the right to as an investor, we're going to pull our investment in the firm and demand all, all the cash. And we didn't have the cash. That could have bankrupted HOK had they just decided to do that. If that meeting was about that, that they wanted their money back,
2: that would Mark, been... it was
3: clear to me it was. They, they were very polite, but very formal. And having been in Japan and worked around Japanese people a lot, I knew a strong threat when I saw it. Yeah, it was an ultimatum. It was an ultimatum. Either give us a dividend or else. So we got in the elevator. We were all shaken. I thought,
4: yeah... I thought, well, Patrick is gonna help us get through this because he's really smart at these kind of things. But the other thing that I thought, we gotta get out of this cajaba relationship. Is not tomorrow, but soon, because even though they're they're very good people, we just have a different idea about the world. If you have a big firm like HOK and it has a certain ethos, you wanna be able to live out that dream. And if you get partners that don't live out that dream with you, then it's the wrong partner. And uh, I think in terms of profits and losses, we've generally been profit all along, been some down, but there are ups and downs, but not to be driven by that, not to be driven by the business side, to be a professional firm whose thing is to design good projects for clients and be helpful to mankind that's the thing and then all the business things follow from that and they're probably as good a partner as you could have had actually in a lot of ways but it wasn't right for hok and then for me anyway it started that day we 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 got to get out of this this wasn't it was good for us for a while but it's not and overall it's not good
3: and we decided we needed before we flew back to our respective offices let's go to a coffee shop and talk this over Had it been the end of the day, we probably would have gone to a bar and had a stiff drink. But this was a coffee shop. So we all went to a coffee shop, a very noisy place, as I recall. All three of us were at a table and having our coffee and starting to talk about what the heck are we going to do with Kojima. And Pratzel's phone rings, his cell phone. He's gotten a call from Tim Tynan. Tim is the controller in our accounting group. Tim Tynan says, I just got a call from the bank. They urgently want to meet with the three of you and me right now. Not tomorrow, not next week. Right now. Oh, my God. What have we done? We were there in this restaurant with this noise, and we all used our cell phones as best we could in this noise. I can remember hunched over the table with the phone pressed up to one ear and my hand over the other ear, trying to hear them in this noisy place, listening to the bankers from our bank, Bank of America, basically chew us up one side and down the other. How we had maxed out on our line of credit and all the bank covenants, which are the rules that the banks lend money by, how much cash flow we need to have and and so on, what our collections are like. Said you're in violation of every single one of your covenants and you're maxed out on your line. And if you can't basically get this cleared up, we're going to pull the line of credit what, what had happened was we, we triggered a violation, and uh, it was not good. You know, the, the bank is, they're pretty loyal to us, but uh, it was not a pleasant thing that, to have tilted our way.
4: To call it dire was uh, an understatement, I think. And uh, we really left kind of white.
3: <laughs> you know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. If we couldn't do something, get this situation changed, they could pull the line of credit, basically demand the money back. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. So we were shaken, all of us. I remember... Uh, in that conversation saying something like, we understand, we appreciate the seriousness of it, we just need a little time to develop a strategy, a plan, and we will get back to you. What else could you do in circumstances like that?
2: The same conversation
3: that you just had with Kajima minutes before. The same one, almost exactly the same. Uh, both of them very unhappy. And uh, we were practically shaking. I mean, okay, my God this could put us under. And I think for the first time, Bill Valentine realized that, you know, most architects don't like to think about things like that and nobody does, but if you don't take care of yourself, this can happen. And it happens too often and great firms have gone under because they haven't taken care of this piece of their business. So we decided that uh, we weren't going to do anything that day. Everybody was shook up and, uh, Bill said to me on the plane on the way back to San Francisco, um,
4: now what do we do?
3: <laughs> so I was put in, and I think appropriately to be responsible for this. And um, with the bank, it was in person. The relationship began with Boatman's Bank in St. Louis, a local bank. Then Boatman's in the consolidation of banks in the last decades, Boatman's had been swallowed up by, Nations Bank. And Nations Bank had been swallowed up by Bank of America. So we hadn't moved, but our bank had changed. So we had Bank of America as our bank. And the banker that met with us was somebody half my age. And somebody you didn't know. I did not know. Pratzel knew him.
2: The Boatman's Bank, I remember in the earlier episodes that you had a very close relationship with them. They worked with you, you worked with them, they helped you start or helped the founders start HOK.
3: Yes, there were personal relationships between our founders and our bank, Boatmans, especially George Kassebaum, who was really the business leader of the firm. And uh, we not only banked with Boatmans, but we actually built them, designed a new, beautiful new office building and headquarters right on the waterfront in St. Louis with a magnificent view of the arch. So it was a really close relationship. Then pretty soon we were just an account So Prattson and I went there and I would say we took a ritual beating. I don't know what you people at HOK are thinking or what you're, how you're operating, but you're not operating to suit us. And if you can't fix this in short order, we're going to pull the loan. Now, and he looked right at me. What are you going to do about it? I got angry. Somebody was treating me this way. I had come to talk with him about, Uh, We would begin payment in several months, hoping and thinking that I could actually get HOK performance up to the level of beginning to make regular payments. He didn't want to hear what I had to say. He only wanted to say what he had to say. And then at the end, he said, what do you think about this? And I said, I didn't appreciate being treated this way, but we will respond. We'll begin to pay you in a few months and we'll pay you until every penny is paid off. And that's all I have to say to you today come on, Bob, let's go. That's the last time I saw that banker. But it was definitely galvanizing. It was an incentive to do something to change the arc of the firm. All the growth over those years had masked this underlying difficulty, and we had to get it fixed. I didn't know that we could, but I thought we could. But it would take a big, major effort.
2: And as chief operating officer, that's Your responsibility. So all of this is on your shoulders. The Kojima crisis is on your shoulders. That's right. Your responsibility to fix this or pull the plug on HOK. Those are your choices. Fix it
3: or it's over. That's right. There was one other crisis, as if two isn't enough. But The third one was internal. Probably the most financially successful and most famous of the HOK divisions in those days was HOK Sport. HOK Sport was fabulously successful with designing baseball and football stadiums and ice hockey and basketball arenas, and everybody loved their stadium work, including me. Probably my favorite baseball stadium in the whole world is what I still call Pac-Bell Park in San Francisco, the home of the Giants. If you recall from previous episodes, HOK
2: Sport was the team located in Kansas City that focused on sports architecture projects for HOK. That team originated as a small group of people at HNTB that wanted to leave and join a firm that was more design-oriented. They approached HOK, but they had a number of conditions. Number one, seed money would be needed to build the team to, in turn, become HOK Kansas City. Two, their office would focus solely on sports architecture and receive all of HOK's Sports Architecture work nationwide. And three, half of the revenue from the sports architecture work would be returned to HOK Kansas City for their office's bonus
3: pool. What was happening was that as more and more HOK offices were underperforming, the sport people would continue to make very good robust profits. At the end of the year, we were a consolidated company. Their profits were diluted by the losses in the other offices, so their bonuses weren't that big. And they thought it was unfair. So they began to really grouse. You can't do this. And it occurred to me, very plainly, clearly, you know, the sport leadership in Kansas City could all resign en masse, go across the street, rent another office. And uh, two things would happen. One is all the sport clients would follow them. So they would get all that business. And they'd leave us with an office rent to be negotiated or, or paid off. And they had a significant chunk of HOK stock. Then they would demand that we pay them for their HOK stock. Even though they resigned, they're still due to their stock. All of those things, Mark, takes money. And we didn't have money. The bank, Kojima, and the sport things were all about money profitability that's leading to cash or money. So we had a big bunch of work to do. So it was three crises, any which one of which uh, the sport practice, for example, was about 20% of HOK's total practice. And they all left. I'm not sure we could have survived having to pay them their the value of their stock and winding down the sport operation in Kansas city while they got all the, kept all the clients. It would have been as difficult and as challenging as I think as the bank or Kojima. So we had not one, but three crises. And uh, Pratzel and I begged for time for each one of those three. That's the only thing you can do until you have a plan. With the bank, we said, we'll begin to pay off the the loan within a few months. And with a lot of grousing and griping, they accepted that. With Kojima, we said, by the end of this year, we'll either pay you a dividend when our fiscal year ends, or we'll, we'll see a stock growth that will be the equivalent And with sport, it was, we promise you we'll do better and hang on. Uh, That was probably, we were counting on them as inside the firm, maybe a bit more than the two outside groups. But that's the situation we were in. So all three crises, all about
2: money, all three of them could have put HOK out of business by themselves. And you had all three of these issues happening all at the same time, all on your shoulders, Yep. And from an outsider, you know, being a young architect at that time, nobody else knew that was happening. Everybody looked at HOK as a world-class architecture firm, which also is, makes the HOK sport issue even more important because a lot of that brand recognition, a lot of that golden halo that HOK brought to the firm was based on their work.
3: Yes, that's right.
2: So if they left, a lot of that brand cachet would have gone with them.
3: Absolutely right. So it was a a great big mess, a big challenge, crisis, for sure a crisis. Uh, And we knew it. And when Bill and I came back to San Francisco and we met as an XCOM again, the XCOM, basically all of us began to understand it fully that we were in very, very hot water. If we didn't do something well and soon, uh, we wouldn't be in business. So with all of this as a backdrop, you have
2: another shift in leadership, (laughs) your biggest promotion. What was that? And how did that happen?
3: That was an interesting, funny kind of day. The XCOM was meeting in person uh, as we did periodically because we were scattered around the country. And during the meeting, all of a sudden, Bill Valentine, who was our president and and nominal leader said, you know, I think we should make Patrick the next CEO. And I plan to support him and I want you all to do the same.
4: (laughs) I thought as I listened to all of that, and I'd been thinking about it for a while, that HOK, in terms of its business leadership, was going to be much better off in Patrick's hands. And I thought that it would serve HOK better if Patrick was the CEO. And uh, Patrick had really good judgment about what to do, both the courage and the love of HOK to further on this institution that we, we both felt responsible
3: for carrying on. Everybody kind of looked at me. And I, I had no idea this was coming, a complete shock to me. And everybody else said, well, yeah, I think that's a good idea. I was surprised and shocked, and I don't remember too much about the rest of that day except two things. One is that I wanted to call my wife and tell her. And uh, two is, okay, now how am I going to get through these big things? You know, when you're made a CEO, you think that as a new CEO, you'd have a chance to chart a new course and set some goals. My goals, of course, were all set for me. I had to solve three crises. That was my job. And nothing else could happen until that those three crises were handled. So that became the defining job for me for the first part of my tenure as a, as a CEO. Obviously, we're sitting here talking today. I got through it, but it was a very dark time and a very odd way to become a CEO. But I can say that the rest of the story about how we got through that is maybe not as dramatic as this, but it's it's certainly uh, a lot for me, a lot more fun. And I think something that people could learn a lot about.
2: Yeah. Now it's all on your shoulders. That's right. You are fully responsible for the solution and you are fully responsible if that solution does not succeed. And so I'm sure you decided, "Okay, I'm going to go back to the office, go back to my my team that's helped me through all these other things and build out this elaborate business plan." Is that what you did? Yeah.
3: I, that's exactly the opposite of what I did. Uh, Mark throughout my life Like with the financial metrics, I found that being simple, communicating in a simple way, having simple financial metrics and having, a, in this case, a simple business strategy was imperative. In fact, I I would argue with anybody that uh, strategic plans or business strategies don't need to be big, thick, elaborate things that are all written out by committee and put into a big book that probably gathers dust on a shelf. I wanted my strategy to be simple enough that people could remember it, all of it. And I wanted it to be something that could get us moving in the right direction right away because we didn't have any time to waste. So uh, I came up with this idea of mostly the business plan would be a graphic, a pyramid. And uh, everybody knows uh, that in architecture, the pyramids, like most buildings, are built from the ground up. And you have to build one level before you can go to the next level. So I used a pyramid with four layers or levels as my graphic. And each layer had a name. The first is that at the base of the pyramid, this is counterintuitive, Mark, is the leadership of the firm, the board. The board, the XCOM, and I called it strong board. It takes the leadership of the board to make the rest of the firm work. The board's not at the top, the board's at the bottom. So the strong board means we have to be together. We can't be divided anymore. I'm from one office, you're from another, we're all part of HOK. And I challenged the board to be unified at that first board meeting as a new CEO. And the next level up was good operations or great operations. I said, we can no longer have a Ford. To let ourselves be lackadaisical about how we perform financially. We have to collect money. We have to have good plans. We have to make profits. We have to be good stewards of our offices. So, achieving the proper operations uh, was the second step in that pyramid. And it depended on the first step, it depended on the board endorsing and supporting that second step. And uh, I challenged the board in the board meeting. I said, you know, if you don't want to be together with your fellow board members, you don't belong on this board. And if you don't want to support good financial metrics for everybody, including your own office, you don't deserve to be on the board. We'll find somebody else. And I, I know at that time, people on the board were looking at me and measuring whether or not I would have the courage or the fortitude to follow up on that. And if somebody was actually not performing to change them out. But uh, those challenges had to be met. The third step of the pyramid was the one that took the longest, which was to restore HOK culture. I called it true collaboration, not lip service. I mean, true collaboration. That means I put HOK first, my office second, myself last. That means to me, if I'm running an office and I have too much work, Maybe that's better for me to share some of that work with another office that doesn't have enough. Or if I have an expert in my office in building type, I should be more willing to share that person with another office. And the notion that we're going to be honest and straight with each other, and we're all going to benefit together if we collaborate. And and collaboration depends on good operations. I said, as long as our operations are spotty and we're struggling, people will not bother to collaborate. There'll be every man for himself. And all of that depended on the strong board being united in this purpose. So each step in the pyramid required the others. And finally, the top of the pyramid. We all want to dream. We all have dreams about what we want HOK to be, what we want to accomplish uh, as a designer or as an engineer or as a professional. We can't just do our dreams. We have to earn them. And you earn the dreams by achieving those first three levels of the pyramid. If you do, then dreams become possible for all of us at HOK. And I concluded the board meeting by asking people what their dreams were. And it turned out to be a really fun exercise. Bill Valentine said, I want us to be the sustainable design leaders in the planet. And Bill Helmuth, a young designer now in Washington, he said, I want us to be recognized as the best designers. Ken Young, who was in charge of our IT, said, I want us to be the coolest firm on the planet in terms of how we leverage technology. And the last person to speak was Bob Pratzel, the CFO. He said, I want us to make and collect so much money, we have to stack it up in the hallway outside my office. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, you know, we cause these problems. We cause the problems we're in. It's only us that can get us out. We have to do it we have to do it together. So you have
2: all these decades of growth and decades yes. of, of the way things have always been, and now you are tasked with the responsibility of significantly transforming this firm into the, the next generation, right? Into, yes, to, that's into right. the new way HOK must run in order to survive and to thrive. Um, and so I'm looking forward to hearing that story of how you did that, because clearly you you did do it because they are thriving today. What were some of the lessons? This is probably the most critical episode of all of them, these crises that you faced and what you did to start the process of change. What are the lessons that we need to be taking away from this one?
3: I've only got two, but each one has pieces. How do you approach a crisis? If your firm is in crisis, what do you do? You don't hand wring. You have to do something. A mark of a real good leader is the leader refuses to panic and instead replaces panic with thinking, what can I do? I realized when each one of these, the bank and Kajima and so on, were dressing us down, they really didn't want to pull our money because they knew it would bankrupt us. They really wanted us to fix the problem. And so I was able to go back to each one and ask for some more time. The other thing that this allowed us to do is instead of just being swamped by three crises at once, I refused to deal with more than one at a time. And we ended up in the future, as you will see, solving one at a time. And it was a great lesson for me that if you can generate some time, you can solve anything, no matter how dire. The other lesson that I learned was all about how you convey a strategic plan or strategy to a firm, a group of people. People had done strategic plans in the years before each office was required to do a strategic plan each year. And I became cynical about them because what I saw was that the, the offices that had the most elaborate plan, usually in a slick binder with lots of graphics and color and so on, were the ones that were performing the least well. And my own notion about great plans is simple. If it's not simple enough, people will ignore it. It will sit on the shelf and gather dust. And uh, it needs to be something that is simple, but inspirational. There has to be some place where people are going. Why am I going to work harder to collect money or to, or to make a profit? Where are we going? What's, what's the purpose? Besides maybe saying in business, well, it's in pursuit of our dreams, if you really have dreams that and I think architects and designers should be dreamers, we should all have dreams. And everybody does if they allow themselves to have it. I wanted HOK to be the place where dreams come true. So it had to be simple enough so that people could see a pathway to dreams. And with some hard work, we could climb that pyramid and get up to the place where we could dream. So it was a shared journey It's not just a strategy that the CEO develops, it's a strategy for everybody. Every single person in the firm can be engaged in that. And uh, as you'll see in the next sessions, we did pretty well at it.
2: To continue the story, come back next week for the next episode of Build Smart. Patrick gets to work as the new CEO of HOK. And job number one, focus on and rejuvenate upper management.
3: And I started with uh, the XCOM. If I could get the XCOM to start taking responsibility for individual actions and following up on things, then we could go to the board. It would be an easier step to go from the XCOM to the board. So at the first meetings of the XCOM after the pyramid strategy, I came up with a very basic tool of, of uh, blocking and tackling called a to-do list. <laughs>
2: thank you for listening. To read along and see illustrations and personal photos that accompany this series, get Patrick's book, Designing a World-Class Architecture Firm. I encourage you to go grab a copy today and follow along as we continue the story. It's available now at gablemedia.com slash buildsmartbook. This podcast is a Gable Media production and is produced by Demetrius Lynch Jr., Gable Media is the home of curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. You can listen in, subscribe, and find more content like this from our network partners at GableMedia.com. That's G A B L Media.com.
1: How familiar are you with the hidden forces shaping our world? Learn about the spaces you occupy every day with Spaces Podcast, a journey through the design, construction, and the impact of our evolving environments. Hi, I'm Demetrius Lynch, host of Spaces, and I'm thrilled to take you on a ride through the intersections of environment, politics, culture, and economy. Join me and leading industry professionals as we uncover the stories behind the spaces that shape societies, past, present, and future. Today, there's a certain amount of cynicism and and kind of general malaise. Maybe many practices should come together and think about common goals, solving some of the major issues of the day. If I'm not mistaken, am I seeing like a wallpaper that is imitating books in some places yeah
4: i have to say now we are in peace with this but
1: (laughs) subscribe now by following the link in the show notes and let's unravel the secrets of our built world together spaces podcasts go beyond the everyday because spaces shape society